0: Romans 6, but really, every time I read Romans 6, I feel like I should just start at chapter 1 and read the whole book. The whole book of Romans. There's so much here in regard to our relationship with the Lord. When you read Romans 6, you should not sink down into a hopeless state. All of what Paul is saying is, in Romans 6 is actually a combination of three chapters, 6, 7, and 8. So, you know, extra credit homework today. You can go home and read 7 and 8 and see exactly what I mean and how he talks about our spiritual condition, but you turn the pages and there he tells you what the hope is, which is Jesus Christ. Our spiritual condition can be hopeless sometimes. Get the uh, magnifying glass out and look at yourself real carefully and just walk away very discouraged. Understand the Lord. Now I do want to start out before we begin at verse 1 of Romans chapter 6 to explain there is a false doctrine inside Christianity that abuses grace. Okay, we all let's be clear. We all abuse grace. Not trying to say anything in regard to our frailty and our humanness. I'm saying there's a doctrine that purposely abuses grace. Our sinfulness is what is addressed here. If we were to, you know, title this—not that I want the guys to change the title of the sermon, but you know romans chapter 6 is about the resurrected life living here and now as a resurrected christian and as this passage shines on our hearts individually we need to make sure that what the lord is saying to each of us right because our enemy will get right in here and he'll convince us of things that are untrue he'll condemn us of things that are untrue he'll also try to Encourage us to do things that are sinful and wrong. This passage doesn't promote either one of those things. Careful examination of yourself through this process might show you where you're at realistically, but the hope is contained in the passage that you would find the freedom from sin, that you would be delivered. So Romans chapter 6 verse 1 begins by saying, What shall we say then? That's loaded statement, right? You're going to have to read the first five chapters to understand what he's talking about, about our spiritual condition. But we'll just jump into that idea. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Notice the exclamation point. Right? Here's the thing that is most common with the issue of grace and the abuse of it. The saints redefine what sin is. We look at our own particular issues and we go, well, that's not really sinful. When in fact it is. So let the Lord speak to your heart and understand that he's saying that there is an escape. There is a way out of this trap of our flesh that keeps us down and suppresses us. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now I want you to notice the word live right there. Live in it. Some of us can testify more wholeheartedly than others what it means to live in sin, right? You know, I, uh, I've been to Kensington Ave. I've seen what's there in Philadelphia. You know, Lori got out of the vehicle and the brother that was going to show us around in this. Is it inappropriate to say ghetto? (laughs) Yeah. Philadelphia, we were there to do street ministry and we did. And the guy that was going to show us around was startled and said to Lori, oh, are those sandals the only thing that you have to wear? And she said, yeah. And she turned around to the nine of us that were with her and said, we are all going to have to work together and watch the ground as we walk because there are hypodermic needles everywhere. And I must have photographed like 5,000 that day. No joke, they were everywhere, everywhere from people shooting up and just dropping them right there. So strange to be at the convenience store and there's a cluster of six people standing outside, hunched over, arms hanging, looking like half-dead zombies literally just swaying together. Because they're all wasted. I've been to Kensington Ave, but I've never lived there. You may have touched on sin, but never lived there. There are certain sins that beset each one of us. Yours may be very different than mine. And you lived in that sin. It was every day, all day. That was your sin. What was it? Greed? Selfish ambition, right? Were you consumed with money? Pride, pride, drugs, alcohol, sexual sin, right? The ones that are the most gross, we understand. And we go, oh, see, look at how hideous that is. It's the subtle ones we don't notice. Or we go, oh, that's fine. Right? We need to understand the flesh and how wicked it is. The things we lived in. We lived in. And there comes a moment where we recognize this has to change in me and we surrender to Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, very often the process is that believer at some point then starts to return to living in the sin right they may from time to time take anger for an example someone has this overwhelming anger they're just angry all the time and they're known as an angry person and then they meet jesus christ and they have this encounter and they're filled with the joy and they're not angry for a period of time but then it begins to creep back in now for the person who goes along and walks with christ and doesn't live in it right just every now and then smashes his hand with a you know hammer or whatever and loses his temper and gets angry he's stumbling into that anger but for the man who deviates off the course of jesus Christ's relationship and goes back to living living in the sin that's what paul is addressing here you you've been delivered from these things right How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You can't live in it. Why? Because you're dead. You've been delivered by Jesus Christ from living that way. You're dead to those things. They are no longer part of you. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Are you not aware of that, Paul is saying? Now, there is some of Christianity that teaches that the baptism is a mystical experience which delivers you into salvation, right? There's many different denominations that have, like if you're thinking, right, I've been around Roman Catholics that think that way. You know, infant baptism and they're saved through baptism. There are protestant denominations that believe that the minute you say i have faith in jesus christ they have to baptize you right then, because if they don't you're not saved they have the mentality that the salvation is the source or the baptism is the source of salvation and plainly it's not okay the image of salvation is choosing or rejecting jesus christ That is why the Lord was crucified with two other men. They both were rejecting Jesus Christ. One of them changed his heart and mind and accepted Jesus Christ and even began to preach and testify to the other thief about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, fruit of his conversion as he was preaching from the cross to the one sinner present who needed salvation. There was fruit in his life, immediate, small, brief, didn't last very long. He passed away shortly after. Never had the opportunity to be baptized. And yet Jesus Christ said to him, I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how salvation comes. Every single Christian should be baptized. If you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, I'll say flatly, you are rebelling against Jesus Christ. Look, if our Lord needed to get baptized, who are you? You saying that you're better than Jesus Christ? If you've had the opportunity and have not embraced it, there's something wrong. You need to be baptized. But it isn't the source of salvation. It's the sign of salvation. Right? It was a demonstration to the world around them that I'm all done living this life of sin. I'm going to be buried in this water the same way that Jesus Christ was buried in the grave. That's what it symbolizes. I mean, if all you get the opportunity to do is sprinkle the water, so be it, right? But you're making a public proclamation of your identification with Jesus Christ. Sadie and Eric Murdy attended this church a number of years ago before Eric passed away. He had brain cancer. And his deterioration was so rapid that we did not get the opportunity to put him in the tank and hold him under. So we brought him here in his wheelchair and we poured the water over his head. And he could not even speak anymore. Young, vibrant, vital young man had deteriorated to the confinement of the wheelchair. I got to hold his head in my hand and pour that water down over his head right over there. And I was looking right in his face. And you cannot you cannot imagine the joy on his face as we performed that ceremony and in a matter of weeks i performed his memorial service as he was ushered into the presence of the lord the symbol of leaving this world behind and leaving the sin behind and living for christ an outward expression of the inner change is what we say that when you are baptized You are baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried, verse 4, with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. Like Jesus was buried, we are buried in likeness. As Jesus was resurrected, we are resurrected in likeness newness of life hey be clear right there were magnificent different attributes to jesus after his resurrection he's not concealing his godhood anymore he appears in rooms when he wants to he disappears from rooms when he wants to. Right? He, he is in his glorified state. We need to have a different state of existence. I am sad to say. That many years ago. When the Lord really drilled this into my heart. I was living in sin. And convincing myself that I was a Christian. And my dear wife looked me in the face and said, I don't care what you say, you are the same man that you were when I met you. When I met her, I was a thief and a liar. And a drunkard, and a drug user, and a drug dealer. I was non-Christian. And I was living the life of a hypocrite. And she just made it very plain, very lovingly. But she had heard very distinctly from the Lord that I was the same as I had been. Now, was I saved or not? I have to let the Lord sort that out, don't I? Right, cause his conditions of salvation are his own, not mine, but what I can tell you is, I knew in that moment, for the first time, I was deceiving myself. I had convinced myself I was something I was not. I was the same man, unchanged. Wilcast wasn't dead, Wilcast was alive and well, doing what he wanted to do, living in sin, living it moment to moment, day to day. It wasn't that i had stumbled it wasn't that i had a moment of failure or crisis i was living in it there's an old thing preachers say you can take a pig and you can scrub him up and buff him dress him up nice and take him to the county fair put him in some nice straw and look him you know make him look really great take the leash off him and let him go and he's just going to go roll around in the mud a sheep on the other hand can't stand to be in the mud they may fall in the mud but they hate it and they do everything in their power to get themselves out and to call for the shepherd to come and get them out if you are being convicted about the fact that you love to just wallow in the sin, then you need to consider whether you are a child of God or not. It's a deeply convicting thing to understand that once we have died, we walk in a newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves. Here's a gruesome thought. There are some obscure references in history to this body of sin that Paul refers to here. Rare Roman execution. Used when an individual murdered someone in a heinous way. The Romans would strap the dead body to the back of the person who had committed the murder. And the dead body's decomposition would kill the person. Who had killed them. It was referred to as the body of death. You can dwell on that for a while. Do you ever feel like that? Like there's a thing spiritually attached to you that you wish you could just cut loose? That you've sworn over and over again, I want to be rid of this thing, and then. In horrifying reality, you turn around and it's still there, dissolving you, destroying you, killing you. It is your own flesh. You're the child of God, and the flesh that is attached to you is killing you. That's what needs to be done away with. We coddle it. We keep it. We enjoy it. We foster it and it's in the process of destroying us it's a grisly thought it's an absolutely horrifying thing paul later says in this triune passage of six seven and eight who will deliver me from this body of death christ alone if you are in that struggle you need to consider where you are at this body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died has been freed from sin right that man with a terrible temper you knew the things you just push his button a little bit and he'd lose his mind if he's passed away and he's laying in the coffin at the memorial service and you go to say your final farewells to him, you can approach that casket and say all of the insulting things you want to. He's not going to react because he's dead. Was he a drunkard, compelled towards those things? You can come and bring the glass of alcohol right to him in his coffin. He wants nothing to do with it. Whatever might have tempted him previously has no effect upon him. This is the death of the Christian that the Lord is talking about. The flesh has lost the battle. If you're in the place where the battle is still alive and well, day to day, you need to be very concerned. You need to be very concerned about whether you're alive in Christ. Because if you're alive in Christ, then you're dead to the flesh. If the flesh is still alive and well, then you need to ask yourself whether you've ever been born again. If we die to Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus doesn't have to die over and over again. Right? Hebrews makes that even more clear. That he died once and for all. Unfortunately, we have to die daily, right? As we talked about in the beginning of this, there's a daily process of putting the flesh to death. I discovered a thing years ago that my flesh wakes up just about a millisecond before the rest of me. You know? You wake up. Do you wake up angry? Ever? No. My wife and I have this disagreement about alarm clocks. Right? We use our cell phones. I have one alarm on my phone, one. And I open it up and I change the time on it, right? Lori has like $47 million. Different. This one is at 5, this one's at 501, this is at 502, 503, 504, and she goes, when do I want to get up? And she chooses the time and turns that alarm on. Well, here's the thing. How poignant that it happened this morning. <clears throat> because she's made all of these different alarms at different times, sometimes the volume on them is set really high. Or it has some obnoxious ringtone, you know. It just, oh, I want to get up at that time. And she'll just choose it and turn it on and forget that, you know, it's an air raid siren at full volume. Yeah, it's always interesting to see Lori spring out of bed in like fighting position. Ready to hurt somebody. You know. And then if that has been your first greeting and then the next greeting is some obnoxious thing the dog or the cat did in the house and you just and then you know it just snowballs your flesh gets ahead of you do you know what i'm saying and now you're in a place that you know you shouldn't be crucifying the flesh once it's gained its foothold every day is a lot harder if you wake it up And you draw this sword right here. And you just plunge it right through your own heart. Literally, let the Word of God penetrate your soul. First thing in the morning. Honestly, stare into the depths of whatever it is the Lord has to say to you from the Word of God. That'll help get things off on the right foot a lot better. If you'll begin that way. Because here's the thing, you've experienced, well, I don't really have the time, I'm not really into it, I'm a long ways away from being that spiritual, I'll just let things run their course. And you don't really think that clearly, but that's what you're doing, right? How does the day end when that's how we function? It's really bad. Really bad. Some days much, much worse than others. Letting the flesh have its way. Death is the only answer to the flesh. The easiest way to do that is starve it to death. Just don't give it what it wants. Keep it confined and do not feed it. It's a whining animal, the flesh. It will beg for freedom. It will beg for opportunity. It will beg for feeding and if you're silly enough to think, ah, oh, just let it have what it wants, once, you unlock the cage. It's startling how ferocious it is and how quickly it has you by the throat. You have to put it to death daily. If you do not, then it will begin to dominate your life. And what's most horrendous is as a child of God, if it's already received the death stroke, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and asked for salvation, and now you're reviving that hideous creature, it really is like some horror movie. You've got a zombie alive and well in your life. That thing that was supposed to die is now meandering through your whole world wreaking havoc on your children your spouse your job it's terrible it's terrible you need to let christ be alive now if we died with christ verse 8 believe that we shall walk also live with him knowing that christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him For The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives in God. Likewise, in like manner, in similitude, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like this term reckon. It's actually a bookkeeping term right probably you at some point in your life have reconciled maybe you haven't <laughs> your your bank book right you've your bank statement online your bank statement you receive in the mail and your checkbook and you reckon them you do the calculation that's what's being said so here's the thing if you're saying I don't really feel like it or our, how about this? Better yet, often what's said, people don't even realize, it. I'm waiting for the day that I feel like it. Right? Oh, I know I know. I should walk with Christ. I know I shouldn't live in sin. I know I should leave these things behind. But right now, I just don't have the strength to do that. Amen. Now do the calculations. Are you supposed to? Yes, you are. So do it. That's what's being said here by Paul. You have to do it. It isn't something, right? Some of us have lived this way, where we don't do the reckoning. And we're like, I'll just continue to spend. I jam this card in here, I push these numbers, and I get the item. Hooray! And then you're like, overdraft fees? What is that all about? You know? And one overdraft fee turns into, what, many? Right? Because I jammed it in and bought the television, and then I also jammed it in. It's a terrible thing when a coffee costs you $36.45. You know what I'm saying? How in the world? This is the most expensive gum I've ever purchased. Because you didn't reckon your finances. You have to reconcile the fact that your life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid for it. If you raise your hand and said, I want to be a Christian, that's me. Make me a child of God. Then what you're doing is saying, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. And you have to reconcile that. That means tomorrow morning you cannot get up as a rage monster And just carry on with your family and your life and the people around you. You have to reconcile the fact that you are a child of God to your present conduct. Do you see why I like the word so much? Because it kicks me right in the can. And says, you have to do this well. Oh, I've come from a background of AA and NA and all of that that says I'm powerless, man. You know, it's just. Yeah, yeah, you can be. You can just shrug and go, whatever, I can't do anything about it. You know? I've literally hung out with people that have said, I punch people in the face. I'm just like that. Good for you. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do certain things. As a believer, you have to do the math and come to the conclusion that your physical frame doesn't belong to you belongs to jesus christ and you have to do what he's asked you to do this is the resurrected life in christ power enough to control yourself to do what's right therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust do not let it you're, you're going to have to control yourself. I just don't have any control. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. And you're going to have to exhibit it. You're going to have to fight against things. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness i was blessed by worship this morning the girls working together having evan play drums just is a blessing you know i don't really play drums i just kind of bang on them you know i definitely don't play guitar i know some chords. I've owned five guitars in my lifetime. I still don't play, right? This is what this is referring to right here. An instrument of righteousness yielded to someone with skill. They're playing those instruments skillfully. Your physical frame needs to be yielded to Jesus Christ that he can use you as an instrument that's what's being said he may want to hit some notes today you don't think you're capable of high or low notes and i do mean that right because some days are not enjoyable are they there are some low notes and jesus christ is capable of making your physical frame as his instrument, carry through those low notes. Hey, um, personal favor for me to all of you. My good friend, Scott Gallatin, Calvary Chapel, Finger Lakes, New York, um, is suffering with cancer right now. So if you can hold Scott up. he's uh, He's hitting some low notes right now that are difficult difficult and he's carrying on like a trooper it's a beautiful thing to see real blessing and i'm just i'm so blessed by that guy and his support of me over the years just really good friend and if you can pray for him and his congregation they're they're really in need of that right now so uh present yourself as members as your bodies an instrument right And if you're thinking, I can and I won't, I don't know how. Think about the things you've done with your body that were so unrighteous. That you knew how horrible they were going into it and you subjected yourself to it anyway. Out of a sinful desire. Do the calculations, understand what you're supposed to do, and then present yourself to the righteousness. To what it is that Christ wants from you for sin shall have dominion she shall have for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace now i want to be very clear about this the law he talks about here is the law that compelled you to sin where you woke up and you were living in sin so you automatically went to do it and paul is saying you've been freed from that people come to me very often and say as a christian Can I drink alcohol? And I say, as a Christian, I can't. Okay. It used to dominate my life. And I can't let it dominate my life anymore so I don't drink at all. Not at all. You see, I had a law in my life that compelled me to do those things. And I have been freed from that law and I now live in His grace. That's what's intended by that passage and what's being said there. You know, maybe you have different circumstances, and I'm not trying to create a new rule and a new law, but what I'm saying is that the freedom from is not the freedom to go and do. Delivered from sin by grace. Not delivered into sin by grace. That's the false doctrine that I'm talking about. Oh, I'm not under the law, man. I'm under grace, so I can do this. No, you can't. No, you can't. The person who has no problem with it at all doesn't even wrestle with the question. If you're wrestling with a question, then almost certainly the answer is, No, you shouldn't be doing that. Almost certainly that's the answer. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Again, there it is certainly not exclamation point absolutely right chapter begins with certainly not and now here we get it again do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey you are that one slave whom you obey whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness i used to say and probably many of you used to say don't tell me what to do i'm free to do this as much as i wanted and the bottom line was i wasn't free i was a slave i obeyed it and thereby it captured me i had no freedom in it who you obey that is your master whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness in your mind what do you say about who your master is Is it Jesus Christ or sinfulness? In your mind, if you say Jesus Christ, but with your body, it is sinfulness, then I tell you right now, Jesus Christ is not your master. Many, many, many people want Jesus Christ to be their savior, but they do not want him to be their Lord. The Lord, king, master, says how you're going to live. And you say, yes, sir. Because he's the king. Salvation, lordship, they are combined. But God be thanked that though you were slaves, I love that effect, that he puts it in past tense. You were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of Of righteousness. And I'll end right there for today. Are you a slave of righteousness? Because that's the bottom line. You're going to be the slave of something. Good grief, even Bob Dylan knew this, right? You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve, is what Bob said. You have to choose your master. See, you were designed by God to be a slave. And you're either going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing is, our King Jesus, the slavery that's incorporated with Him is so fulfilling, so rewarding, so hopeful, so beautiful, free, in fact. It is the bondage of sin. It is the punishment of sin. It is the payment of sin that we cannot afford, that we cannot endure. The resurrected life in Jesus Christ is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Does that make sense to us all this morning? Let us live a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we ask that you would minister to us. Lord, to whatever degree this passage may convict us, I pray that you would protect us against the condemnation of our enemy. That we would be able to hear your encouragement. Lord, if we've examined this passage this morning and we're frightened by the prospects of who we are, of what we are, Help us to turn to you in desperation and ask for your freedom, to ask for your deliverance. For some of us, that may be crying out for salvation. For others, it may just be that cleansing from the sin and the world that's so necessary. Wherever we are, whatever degree we are in, Accomplish your work in our hearts and minds. Raise us from the death of our flesh and our sin. That we would walk in the newness of life, empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.